Principles of Geology, Chapter 27, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 27 Earthquakes and Their Effects. In the sketch before given of the geographical boundaries of volcanic regions, I stated that although the points of eruption are but thinly scattered, constituting mere spots on the surface of those vast districts, yet the subterranean movements extend simultaneously over immense areas. We may now proceed to consider the changes which these movements produce on the surface and in the internal structure of the Earth's crust. Deficiencies of Ancient Accounts It is only within the last century and a half, since Hook first promulgated in 1688 his views respecting the connection between geological phenomena and earthquakes, that the permanent changes affected by these convulsions have excited attention. Before that time, the narrative of the historian was almost exclusively confined to the number of human beings who perished, the number of cities laid in ruins, the value of property destroyed, or certain atmospheric appearances which dazzled or terrified the observers. The creation of a new lake, the engulfing of a new city, or the raising of a new island are sometimes, it is true, adverted to as being too obvious or of too much geographical or political interest to be passed over in silence. But no researches were made expressly with a view of ascertaining the amount of depression or elevation of the ground or any particular alterations in the relative position of sea and land, and very little distinction was made between the raising of soil by volcanic ejections and the upheaving of it by forces acting from below. The same remark applies to a very large proportion of modern accounts, and how much reason we have to regret this deficiency of information appears from this, that in every instance where a spirit of scientific inquiry has animated the eyewitnesses of these events, facts calculated to throw light on former modifications of the Earth's structure are recorded. Phenomena Attending Earthquakes As I shall confine myself almost entirely in the following notice of earthquakes to the changes brought about by them in the configuration of the Earth's crust, I may mention, generally, some accompaniments of these terrible events which are almost uniformly commemorated in history, that it may be unnecessary to advert to them again. Irregularities in the seasons preceding or following the shocks, sudden gusts of wind interrupted by dead calms, violent rains at unusual seasons or in countries where such phenomena are almost unknown, a reddening of the sun's disk and a haziness in the air, often continued for months, an evolution of electric matter or of inflammable gas from the soil, with sulfurous and mephitic vapors, noises underground like the running of carriages or the discharge of artillery or distant thunder, animals uttering cries of distress and evincing extraordinary alarm, being more sensitive than men of the slightest movement, 
a sensation like seasickness and a dizziness in the head experienced by men. These and other phenomena, less connected with our present subject as geologists, have recurred again and again, at distant ages, and in all parts of the globe. I shall now begin the enumeration of earthquakes with the latest authentic narratives, and so carry back the survey retrospectively that I may bring before the reader in the first place the minute and circumstantial details of modern times, and thus enable him, by observing the extraordinary amount of change within the last 150 years, to perceive how great must be the deficiency in the meager annals of earlier eras. Earthquakes of the 19th Century Syria, January 1837 it has been remarked that earthquakes affect elongated areas. The violent shock which devastated Syria in 1837 was felt on a line 500 miles in length by 90 in breadth. More than 6,000 persons perished. Deep rents were caused in solid rocks, and new hot springs burst out at Tabarea. Chile, Valdivia, 1837 one of the latest earthquakes by which the position of solid land is known to have been permanently altered is that which occurred in Chile on November 7, 1837. On that day, Valdivia was destroyed by an earthquake, and a whaler, commanded by Captain Coste, was violently shaken at sea and lost her masts in latitude 43 degrees, 38 minutes south, in sight of the land. The captain went on the 11th of December following to a spot near the island of Lemus, one of the Chonos archipelago, where he had anchored two years before, and found that the bottom of the sea had been raised more than eight feet. Some rocks formerly covered at all times by the sea were now constantly exposed, and an enormous quantity of shells and fish in a decaying state, which had been thrown there by the waves, or suddenly laid dry during the earthquake, attested the recent date of the occurrence. The whole coast was strewed with uprooted trees. Chile, Conception, 1835. Fortunately, we have a still more detailed account of the geographical changes produced in the same country on the 20th of February, 1835. An earthquake was then felt at all places besides Copiapo and Chiloé, from north to south, and from Mendoza to Juan Fernandez, from east to west. Quote, vessels, says Mr. Cautluch, quote, navigating the Pacific within 100 miles of the coast, experienced the shock with considerable force, end quote. Conception, Talcahuano, Chilan, and other towns were thrown down. From the account of Captain Fitzroy R.N., who was then employed in surveying the coast, we learn that after the shock, the sea retired in the Bay of Conception, and the vessels grounded, even those which had been lying in seven fathoms water. All the shoals were visible, and soon afterwards a wave rushed in and then retreated, and was followed by two other waves. The vertical height of these waves 
does not appear to have been much greater than from 16 to 20 feet, although they rose to much greater heights when they broke upon a sloping beach. According to Mr. Kalgloik and Mr. Darwin, the whole volcanic chain of the Chilean Andes, a range 150 miles in length, was in a state of unusual activity, both during the shocks and for some times preceding and after the convulsion, and lava was seen to flow from the crater at Osorno. See map, figure 69. The island of Juan Fernandez, distant 365 geographical miles from Chile, was violently shaken at the same time and devastated by a great wave. A submarine volcano broke out there near Bacaleo Head, about a mile from the shore, in 69 fathoms water, and illumined the whole island during the night. At conception, says Captain Fitzroy, quote, the earth opened and closed rapidly in numerous places. The direction of the cracks was not uniform, though generally from southeast to northwest. The earth was not quiet for three days after the great shock, and more than 300 shocks were counted between the 20th of February and the 4th of March. The loose earth of the valley of Biobio was everywhere parted from the solid rocks which bound the plain, there being an opening between them from an inch to a foot in width. For some days up to the 20th of February, the sea at Talcahuano, says Captain Fitzroy, quote, did not rise in the usual marks by four or five feet vertically. When walking on the shore, even at high water, beds of dead mussels, numerous chitons and limpets, and withered seaweed still adhering though lifeless to the rocks on which they had lived, everywhere met the eye, end quote. But this difference in the relative level of the land and sea gradually diminished, till in the middle of April, the water rose again to within two feet of the former high water mark. It might be supposed that these changes of level merely indicated a temporary disturbance in the set of the currents or in the height of the tides at Talcahuano. But on considering what occurred in the neighboring island of Santa Maria, Captain Fitzroy concluded that the land had been raised four or five feet in February and that it had returned in April to within two or three feet of its former level. Santa Maria, the island just alluded to, is about seven miles long and two broad, and about 25 miles southwest of Conception. See map, figure 70. The phenomena observed there are most important. It appeared, says Captain Fitzroy, who visited Santa Maria twice, the first time at the end of March, and afterwards in the beginning of April, quote, that the southern extremity of the island had been raised eight feet, the middle nine, and the northern end upwards of ten feet, on steep rocks where vertical measures could be correctly taken, beds of dead mussels were found ten feet above high water mark, one foot lower than the highest bed of mussels, a few limpets and chitons were seen adhering to the rock where they had grown, two feet lower than the same. Dead mussels, chitons, and limpets were abundant. An extended rocky flat lies around the northern parts of Santa Maria. Before the earthquake, this flat was covered by the sea 
some projecting rocks only showing themselves. Now the whole flat is exposed, and square acres of it are covered with dead shellfish, the stench arising from which is abominable. By this elevation of the land, the southern port of Santa Maria has been almost destroyed, little shelter remaining there, and very bad landing. End quote. The surrounding sea is also stated to have become shallower in exactly the same proportion as the land had risen, the surroundings having diminished a fathom and a half everywhere around the island. At Tubal, also to the southeast of Santa Maria, the land was raised six feet, at Mocha, two feet, but no elevation could be ascertained at Valdivia. Among other effects of the catastrophe, it is stated that cattle standing on the steep slope near the shore were rolled down into the sea, and many others were washed off by the great wave from low land and drowned. In November of the same year, 1835, Conception was shaken by a severe earthquake, and on the same day Osorno, at the distance of 400 miles, renewed its activity. These facts prove not only the connection of earthquakes with volcanic eruptions in this region, but also the vast extent of the subterranean areas over which the disturbing cause acts simultaneously. Ischia, 1828. On the 2nd of February, the whole island of Ischia was shaken by an earthquake, and in the October following, I found all the houses of Casamichio still without their roofs. On the sides of a ravine between that town and Forio, I saw masses of greenish turf, which had been thrown down. The hot spring of Rita, which was nearest the center of the movement, was ascertained by Monsieur Covelli to have increased in temperature, showing, as he observes, that the explosion took place below the reservoirs, which heat the thermal waters. Bogota, 1827. On the 16th of November, 1827, the plain of Bogota in New Granada, or Colombia, was convulsed by an earthquake, and a great number of towns were thrown down. Torrents of rain swelled the Magdalena, sweeping along vast quantities of mud and other substances, which emitted a sulfurous vapor and destroyed the fish. Popayan, which is distant 200 geographical miles south-southwest of Bogota, suffered greatly. Wide crevices appeared in the road of Guanacas, leaving no doubt that the whole of the Cordilleras sustained a powerful shock. Other fissures opened near Costa in the plains of Bogotá, into which the river Tunza immediately began to flow. It is worthy of remark that in all such cases the ancient gravel bed of a river is deserted, and a new one formed at a lower level, so that a want of relation in the position of alluvial beds of the existing watercourses may be no test of the high antiquity of such deposits, at least in countries habitually convulsed by earthquakes. Extraordinary rains accompanied the shocks before mentioned, and two volcanoes are said to have been in eruption in the mountain chain nearest to Bogota. Chile, 1822. 
On the 19th of November, 1822, the coast of Chile was visited by a most destructive earthquake. The shock was felt simultaneously throughout a space of 1,200 miles from north to south. Santiago, Valparaiso, and some other places were greatly injured. When the district round Valparaiso was examined on the morning after the shock, it was found that the coast for a considerable distance was raised above its former level. At Valparaiso, the elevation was three feet, and at Quintero, about four feet. Part of the bed of the sea, says Mrs. Graham, remained bare and dry at high water, quote, with beds of oysters, mussels, and other shells adhering to the rocks on which they grew, the fish being all dead and exhaling most offensive effluvia. An old wreck of a ship, which before could not be approached, became accessible from the land, although its distance from the original seashore had not altered. It was observed that the water course of a mill, at the distance of about a mile from the sea, gained a fall of 14 inches, a little more than 100 yards. And from this fact it is inferred that the rise in some parts of the inland country was far more considerable than at the borders of the ocean. Part of the coast thus elevated consisted of granite, in which parallel fissures were caused, some of which were traced for a mile and a half inland. Cones of earth about four feet high were thrown up in several districts by the forcing up of water mixed with sand through funnel-shaped hollows, a phenomenon very common in Calabria, and the explanation of which will hereafter be considered. Those houses in Chile of which the foundations were on rock, were less damaged than such as were built on alluvial soil. Mr. Crookshanks, an English botanist, who resided in the country during the earthquake, has informed me that some rocks of greenstone at Quintero, a few hundred yards from the beach, which had always been underwater until the shock of 1822, have since been uncovered when the tide is at half ebb and he states that, after the earthquake, it was the general belief of the fishermen and inhabitants of the Chilean coast not that the land had risen, but that the ocean had permanently retreated. Dr. Mann, a Prussian traveler who visited Valparaiso in 1831, says that on examining the rocks both north and south of the town nine years after the event, he found in corroboration of Mrs. Graham's account that remains of animals and seaweed, the Lasonia of Bori de Saint-Vincent, which has a firm ligneous stem, still adhered to those rocks, which in 1822 had been elevated above high water mark. According to the same author, the whole coast of central Chile was raised about four feet, and banks of marine shells were laid dry on many parts of the coast, he observed similar banks elevated at unknown periods in several places, especially at Copiapo, where the species all agree with those now living in the ocean. Mr. Fryer also, who resided some years in South America, has confirmed these statements, and Mr. Darwin obtained evidence that the remains of an ancient wall, formerly washed by the sea and now eleven and a half feet above high water mark, acquired several feet of this additional elevation 
during the earthquake of 1822. The shocks continued up to the end of September 1823. Even then, 48 hours seldom passed without one, and sometimes two or three were felt during 24 hours. Mrs. Graham observed after the earthquake of 1822 that besides a beach newly raised above high water mark, there were several older, elevated lines of beach, one above the other, consisting of shingle mixed with shells, extending in a parallel direction to the shore to the height of 50 feet above the sea. Extent of Country Elevated By some observers, it has been supposed that the whole country, from the foot of the Andes to a great distance under the sea, was upraised in 1822, the greatest rise being at the distance of about two miles from the shore. Quote, the rise upon the coast was from two to four feet, at the distance of a mile inland. It must have been from five to six or seven feet, end quote. It has also been conjectured by the same eyewitnesses to the convulsion that the area over which this permanent alteration of level extended may have been equal to 100,000 square miles. Although the increased fall of certain watercourses may have afforded some ground for this conjecture, it must be considered as very hypothetical, and the estimate may have exceeded or greatly fallen short of the truth. It may nevertheless be useful to reflect on the enormous amount of change which this single convulsion occasioned if the extent of country moved upward really amounted to 100,000 square miles, an extent just equal to half the area of France or about five-sixths of the area of Great Britain and Ireland. If we suppose the elevation to have been only three feet on an average, it will be seen that the mass of rock added to the continent of America by the movement, or, in other words, the mass previously below the level of the sea, and after the shocks permanently above it, must have contained 57 cubic miles in bulk, which would be sufficient to form a conical mountain two miles high, or about as high as Etna, with a circumference at the base of nearly 33 miles. We may take the mean specific gravity of the rock at 2.655. A fair average, and a convenient one in such computations, because at such a rate a cubic yard weighs two tons. Then, assuming the Great Pyramid of Egypt if solid, to weigh in accordance with an estimate before given six million tons, we may state the rock added to the continent by the Chilean earthquake to have more than equaled 100,000 pyramids. But it must always be borne in mind that the weight of rock here alluded to constituted but an insignificant part of the whole amount which the volcanic forces had to overcome. The whole thickness of rock between the surface of Chile and the subterranean foci of volcanic action may be many miles or leagues deep. Say that the thickness was only two miles. Even then, the mass which changed place and rose three feet, being 200,000 cubic miles in volume, must have exceeded in weight 300 and 63 million pyramids.
It may be instructing to consider these results in connection with others already obtained from a different source, and to compare the working of two antagonistic forces, the leveling power of running water and the expansive energy of subterranean heat. How long, it may be asks, would the Ganges require, according to data before explained, page 283, to transport to the sea a quantity of solid matter equal to that which may have been added to the land by the Chilean earthquake. The discharge of mud in one year by the Ganges was estimated at 20,000 million cubic feet. According to that estimate, it would require about four centuries, or 418 years, before the river could bear down from the continent into the sea a mass equal to that gained by the Chilean earthquake. In about half that time, perhaps, the united waters of the Ganges and Buramputer might accomplish the operation. Cooch, 1819. A violent earthquake occurred at Cooch in the delta of the Indus on the 16th of June, 1819. See map, figure 71. The principal town, Buj, was converted into a heap of ruins and its stone buildings were thrown down. The movement was felt over an area having a radius of 1,000 miles from Buj, and extending to Kabatmandu, Calcutta, and Pondicherry. The vibrations were felt in northwest India at a distance of 800 miles, after an interval of about 15 minutes after the earthquake at Buj. At Ahmedabad, the great mosque, erected by Sultan Ahmed nearly 450 years before, fell to the ground, attesting how long a period had elapsed since a shock of similar violence had visited that point. At Anjar, the fort, with its tower and guns, was hurled to the ground in one common mass of ruin. The shocks continued until the 20th, when, 30 miles northwest from Buj, the volcano called Denodur is said by some to have sent forth flames, but Captain Grant was unable to authenticate the statement. Subsidence in the Delta of the Indus Although the ruins of towns was great, the face of nature in the inland country, says Captain MacMurdo, was not visibly altered. In the hills, some large masses only of rock and soil were detached from the precipices, but the eastern and almost deserted channel of the Indus which bounds the province of Cooch, was greatly changed. This estuary, or inlet of the sea, was, before the earthquake, formidable at Lokput, being only about a foot deep when the tide was at ebb, and at flood tide, never more than six feet, before it was deepened at the fort of Lokput, after the shock, to more than 18 feet at low water. On sounding other parts of the channel, it was found that where previously the depth of the water at flood never exceeded one or two feet, it had become from four to ten feet deep. By these and other remarkable changes of level, a part of the inland navigation of that country, which had been closed for centuries, became again practicable. Fort and village submerged. The fort and village of Sindri, on the eastern arm of the Indus above Lakput, 
are stated by the same writer to have been overflowed, and after the shock, the tops of the houses and wall were alone to be seen above the water, for the houses, although submerged, were not cast down. Had they been situated, therefore, in the interior, where so many forts were leveled to the ground, their site would, perhaps, have been regarded as having remained comparatively unmoved. Hence we may suspect that great permanent upheavings and depressions of soil may be the result of earthquakes, without the inhabitants being in the least degree conscious of any change of level. A more recent survey of Cooch by Sir A. Burns, who was not in communication with Captain McCurdo, confirms the facts above enumerated and adds many important details. That officer examined the delta of the Indus in 1826 and 1828, and from his account it appears that, when Sindri subsided in June 1819, the sea flowed in by the eastern mouth of the Indus, and in a few hours converted a tract of land 2,000 square miles in area into an inland sea or lagoon. Neither the rush of the sea into this new depression, nor the movement of the earthquake, threw down entirely the small fort of Sindri, one of the four towers, the northwestern still continuing to stand. And the day after the earthquake, the inhabitants who had ascended to the top of this tower saved themselves in boats. End of chapter 27, part 1.